Good to be here. Turning your Bibles, if you would, to Mark's Gospel, Mark chapter 13. Over the last few years, I've devoted myself to this book, spoke out of it probably at this point hundreds of times. I was past these two books today. One is the, the Gospel of John and one is the Gospel of Mark. They're out on the back table. I think, I think it's a great idea. It fits in your pocket and, and you can take one of these books as you leave today. You can read the Gospel of John. You can read the Gospel of Mark. You can also use it as a tool, as a tool to spread the Gospel in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ to a lost and dying world. Today we're going to look at four verses in Mark chapter 14. Four verses that end with questions. Four verses that end with questions. Questions that anger me, if I'm honest with you. I remember reading this text and, and thinking through the scenario and, the, and the, the, the history that brought us to Mark chapter 13 and these questions that the disciples asked the Lord Jesus Christ. And to be honest with you, it angered me. When we're in school, our teachers teach us things and, and from an adult perspective and in a funny way, oftentimes I look back at what those things and what those things and what we were taught and we were taught some things that just don't make sense. Do you remember this, this saying from our education? Sticks and stones will break our bones, but words will never hurt us. Those, that's not true. That's not true at all. Another thing that my teachers taught me was that you can never ask a stupid question. Well, Mark chapter 13 is going to teach us that not only can you not ask a stupid question, you can, but you can also ask a hurtful question. You can also be so self-centered and so focused on yourself that you ask questions that reveal the very heart that is so dark and so selfish. Mark chapter 13 and these first four verses are also dripping with irony. We're, we're not talking about a little irony. We're, we're using the word dripping. It is absolutely wrapped in irony. But before we read these verses, I want you to turn quickly to the Old Testament. Keep one ribbon in Mark chapter 13, and let's go back to Chronicles, the book of Chronicles. 1 Chronicles chapter 12, 1 Chronicles chapter 12, just for one verse, one verse that we'll begin with today and one verse that we'll end with today. Uh, Chronicles, 1 Chronicles chapter 12. 1 Chronicles chapter 12 and verse 32 says this, And the children of Issachar, who were men who had understanding of the times, to know how, what Israel ought to do. I'm going to read that again. Verse 32, And the children of Issachar, who were men who had understanding of the times, to know what Israel ought to do. Let's go forward, back in our Bible to Mark chapter 13, and read those first four verses. The first four verses of Mark chapter 13 as our text this morning. Mark chapter 13 and verse 1 says this, And as he went out of the temple, one of the disciples said unto him, Master, see what manner of stones and what buildings are here. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Seest thou these great buildings? There shall not be left one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. And as he sat opposite, or excuse me, and as he sat upon the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter and James and John and Andrew asked him privately. Notice the two questions in verse 4. Tell us, when shall these things be? Question mark. And what shall be the sign 
when all these things shall be fulfilled, question mark. In Virginia, my grandmother is 94 years old. She's a wonderful lady, believe it or not, and she loves to brag about this. She still water skis to this day. She prides herself on it. She's a wonderful lady. She's acquired some assets over time, and she's still living to this day. So I'm going to give you an illustration that is absolutely hypothetical, but I want to show you a question that would anger me. I want to show you a question that would bother me. I want to show you a question that would be so selfish that it would begin to make me mad. Imagine, imagine if my beloved grandmother passed away. Imagine we're at her funeral. Imagine the family's getting ready to go in. Imagine one of my nephews asked me a question before we walk out as a family to remember the life of my grandmother. Imagine if one of my nephews uh, pulled my shirt and said, Stephen, uh, are we inheriting any money here? Wrong question. Wrong time. Stephen, am I getting any money here? Where are grandma's assets going? That's a question that's inappropriate. That's a question that would make me mad. That's a question that would, let me, would, would absolutely make me grip my teeth with anger. We can ask the wrong question at the wrong time. We're going to ask questions that reveal the selfishness of our heart. And that's exactly what Mark chapter 13 and verse 4 is teaching us. Before we get to Mark chapter 13, I want to remind you that Mark chapter 12 is exactly where Mark chapter 12 is supposed to be. Mark chapter 12 is exactly where the Old Testament tells us it should be. We're not going to go there and we're not going to turn there. We're going to stay focused on the task at hand. But if you go back, don't do it right now, although you can do it later today. If you go back to Exodus chapter 12, you're going to read about the Passover lamb. Jesus Christ is our Passover, 1 Corinthians states that, Christ our Passover. And Jesus Christ died and gave his life a ransom for many. He didn't die the day before the Passover. He didn't die the day after the Passover. He died on the day of, of the Passover. The Lord's calendar, the Almighty's calendar is complete. And he rose again on the Feast of first fruits. He was born according to the scriptures and he died according to the scriptures and he rose again according to those Old Testament scriptures. It's not a day off. And if you go back to Exodus chapter 12 and if you dig yourself into the word of God, you will see in Exodus chapter 12 that it says that you should take a male lamb, one year old, male lamb without spot, without blemish, and you'll take that lamb on the 10th day of the month. And you'll sacrifice that lamb on the 14th day of the month. And you've got four days. Four days to test the lamb. Just to make sure it doesn't look the part. Just to make sure that it's not a COVID lamb. Just to make sure that it doesn't look perfect but is far from it. You want to take your best lamb. You want to take your Lamb that was without spot, without blemish, and you want to take that lamb on the 10th day, you want to observe it, test it for four days, and sacrifice that lamb on the Passover. That's what Exodus chapter 12 says. And it's a day, it's a time of testing to test the lamb. It makes me sad when I even, when I even say the name of this movie. It takes me back to the 80s and to a young boy who loved the movie but hated the ending. 
Do you remember the movie Old Yeller? Do we watch that in Iowa? We watch it in North Carolina. Remember what they did to Old Yeller when he was bit by that timber wolf? They put him in that corn crib, and they're going to watch him. Travis is going to watch him. The mother's going to watch him for a few days to see if he really does have it, if he, if he has rabies. And we won't talk much about that movie anymore because we know how it ends. I remember being a young man, a young boy, and seeing and watching that movie and seeing the emotion in Travis's eyes when he pulled that trigger and shot old Yeller. I can't believe he did it. Jesus Christ was tested. According to the scriptures, there has to be a time of testing. If Jesus Christ is our Passover lamb, if Jesus Christ is going to, to, to be crucified for the sins of the world, if he's going to give his life a ransom for many, if he's going to die according to the scriptures, then he has to die on that Passover day. And there's got to be days of testing that lead up to it. And there is Mark chapter 12, a time of testing. These Herodians will come to the Lord Jesus Christ with a coin. These snakes in the grass who are so politically minded that they don't care what his answer is, but just that he answers. Should we give unto Caesar... Should we render unto Caesar or not? Pick a side. It doesn't matter where you land. We just want you to make a political statement so that we can attack you. You remember, seriously, guys, in the days of the Lord Jesus Christ, they didn't have CNN, they didn't have Fox News, they didn't even have periodicals, they didn't even have the newspaper. So you will see time and again in the life and the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ, men come and attack him publicly and question him publicly so that they can trip him in his words. And they came with a coin. And Jesus Christ said something that we often repeat on April 15th, but that's not really the point. The point of the, of the message of the Lord Jesus Christ is you render unto Caesar what is Caesar's and you render unto God's what is God. It's not our April 15th verse. It is our verse to hear and to understand the Lord Jesus Christ say, give unto the Lord's what is his. And then these Sadducees, these men, they had heard of Lazarus. These men that had heard the story, maybe even witnessed accounts of Jairus' daughter, the resurrection from the dead in Mark chapter 5. Lazarus come forth, but yet they still in their hardened hearts would not believe in the resurrection. So these men in their foolish wisdom come to the Lord Jesus Christ with an absolutely asinine, stupid question. A foolish question. There were seven men. And they each married a woman, and that woman had no seed. Whose husband shall she be in the resurrection that's to come? How far is their doctrine off? How far have their darkened hearts taken them away from the truth? I want to tell you, and I want to remind you, and I want to encourage you this morning that in a coming day when we see him, when we see the, the Lord Jesus Christ, our Passover, the one that we love, the one that loved us first, even to the death of Calvary's tree, when we see him, this future life ahead of us, this eternal life ahead of us will be all about a bride and a bridegroom, and it has nothing to do with this man. These seven men and this woman has everything to do with the, with the Lord Jesus Christ who has cleansed his bride and made her white 
and grafted us into the family of God, cleansed from all iniquity. There is a wedding coming, but they are so far from reality. They are so far in their darkened minds. And the Lord Jesus Christ, in these beautiful, wise words that he often says, he simply says to them, you don't know the scriptures, that's your problem. And you don't know the power of God. And then a crafty scribe comes to the Lord Jesus Christ. If we had more time to study it, if we had more time to get into it, we would look at the words that he says. He asked a question. We won't get into it too deep. But he asked a question that had already been asked of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not the first time that they come to him and say to him, what is the greatest commandment? He'd already answered that in the past. They weren't coming to him for knowledge. They were coming to trap him in his words yet again. Question after question after question. Time of testing is at hand. From the 10th day to the 14th day. And yet this scribe comes to the Lord Jesus Christ and says, What is the greatest commandment? He'd already answered that question. And you know the answer. Love the Lord your God. Love the Lord your God. And we can see it in in Mark chapter 12. In verse 30, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind, and with all thy strength. This is the first commandment. And the second is this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. There is no other commandments greater than these. And the scribe in his craftiness, look at his response. Knowing what the Lord would speak, knowing the truth from the mouth of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the scribe said unto him, Well, Master, thou hast said the truth, for there is one God and there is no other but he. This scribe had come, had come, so that the Lord Jesus Christ would speak truth, so that he could rebut him, so that he could speak to him in front of the multitudes, in front of those at the temple, and simply said like this, Yes, you're right, there is one God. Translation, you're nothing. You are no one. There is but one God. That's the rebuttal. That's the point that this scribe is trying to make. Shooting. Shooting, as it were, a verbal shot at the Lord Jesus Christ. You're right, Rabbi. There is none but one God. Translation, you're not he. Translation, you're not important. And the Lord Jesus Christ answers him as he always does. He says this this. Beautiful answer. He says this to the scribe in the verses that followed, the verses that we just read. He said, you're just close to the kingdom of God. In other words, you don't have it. You're missing but one thing. But one thing. And if you notice what happens here in Mark chapter 12... It says this in verse 34. And when Jesus saw that, they, that he had answered him discreetly, he said to him, Thou art not far from the kingdom of God. And the end of this verse, it says this, And no man dared after that to ask him any questions. In other words, the time of testing was complete. The Lord Jesus Christ had been put through the trials, through the test, through the questions of these men. And now the time of testing is complete. Now Exodus chapter 12 is complete. All except the Lord Jesus Christ, the spotless, perfect Lamb of God. 
go to Calvary's tree. I want us to, I want us to, to begin to see the irony that is in this passage. I want us to begin to, to look at the questions of these disciples. I'll read it again in Mark chapter 13 and verse, and verse 4. Mark chapter 13 and verse 4 says this, Tell us when these things shall be, and what shall be the sign when all these things shall be fulfilled. Now, the first thing that I want to take up with you on these two questions is the irony. The irony of these men. Remember, they heard the Lord Jesus Christ come from the temple. They heard him come out of the temple. They heard the Lord Jesus Christ take all of these questions, all of these questions from the Herodians and the Sadducees and the scribes and those that hated him without cause. They heard all of these questions. And now the Lord Jesus Christ has to take questions from his disciples. Now he has to hear foolishness. Now he has to hear selfishness. Now he has to hear irony from the, from the mouth of his own disciples. For they come to him. And ask these questions. First, let's look at the irony. Don't miss it. Don't miss the irony. They want to be men in the know. Lord, when shall these things come to pass? When shall these things be? We want to know. We don't want to be ignorant men. We don't want to be men that don't know the times. We don't know, want to be men that, that, that don't know the prophecy, that don't know what's coming. Lord, we want to be men that know. Lord, when shall these things come to pass? In the scriptures. And the scriptures are at hand. Daniel writes in Daniel chapter 9 a prophecy that, that a lot of us would, would believe is the backbone of all scriptural prophecy. Daniel would write in Daniel chapter 9 a prophecy about 70 weeks. Now we... we we struggle with that terminology. If I was to say to someone, do you mind going to the store and getting me 70 dozen donuts? We wouldn't have any problem understanding the math behind that, right? I need 70 dozen. It's a lot of donuts, by the way. I need 70 dozen, but in the nation of Israel, their, their vocabulary, when it comes to the word weak, was seven. And so they understood this very easily. But it's lost on our ears. Daniel would say that 70, seven-year periods. 70 times seven. 70, seven-year periods. 490 years, he would say, are bestowed upon thy people. And after 69 of the 70 years, after 483 years, not 483 years with 65, uh, 365 days and a leap year, But 483 years using the Jewish lunar calendar, it's 360 days. After 483 years, the Messiah is going to come in and he's going to be cut off. That's what the prophet said. That's what Daniel spoke about in Daniel chapter 9. A prophecy of prophecies. Someone asked me yesterday, how do you know the Bible is true? How do you know this is the word of God? You read Daniel's weeks. And you go back to the scriptures and you see in Nehemiah chapter 2 that the clock starts because Daniel says you need to begin the clock. You need to start the watch. You need to be aware and begin to count the days and the years when the decree goes forth to rebuild the walls of the city of Jerusalem. 
And in Nehemiah chapter 2, in that blessed book of Nehemiah chapter 2, it says, In the 20th year, in the reign of Artaxerxes, in the month of Nisan, it's a car to us, it's the first month of the year to the Jew. In the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of Artaxerxes, the decree came forth to rebuild the walls of the city of Jericho, and 50 years passed. And 75 years passed, and 125 years passed, and 300 years passed, and 420 years passed, and 465 years passed, and 483 years had passed. And the Lord Jesus Christ comes into Jerusalem in Luke chapter 19, and he weeps over the city. I didn't say he cried over the city. I said he wept over the city. And he would say in Luke chapter 19, because they did not know the days, because they did not know the calendar, because they did not remember the word of the Lord and what the prophet had said in Daniel chapter 9, he would say, you don't know the time of your visitation. I told you I would be here. The prophet spoke by the Spirit of God, and you do not know the time of your visitation. But they were busy. They were busy in the holiday season and they were busy and they had family coming in and games to watch and things to do and a family events and they didn't know the times. And the irony is dripping in Mark chapter 13 because these disciples, men who walked with him, men that knew him, men that lived with him, and had access to the Lord Jesus Christ, come to him in Mark chapter 13 on a mountain opposite the temple and have the audacity and the irony to say to the Lord Jesus Christ, we want to be men of the times. We want to be men who know the days. We don't want to be ignorant. We, don't, we want to know the prophecy and the word of God fulfilled. Please tell me, when shall these things be? And they, hear this, they are 48 hours away from 483 years being complete. The greatest biblical prophecy ever written in the Old Testament is 48 hours away from the fulfillment of 483 years. Two days from now, the Lord Jesus Christ will go and give his life a ransom for many. Two days from now, the prophet Daniel's words will come to fruition as the Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ as we call him, is cut off on Calvary's tree. In agony and in suffering, that you might know the forgiveness of sins and that you might have life and that life eternal. We are 48 hours from the fulfillment of Daniel's weeks. And these men have the irony and the audacity to come to Jesus Christ and say, we want to know the future. We want to know when these things shall be. We want to know biblical prophecy. We want to be men in the know. They are ignorant. They are lost because 48 hours from now, Jesus Christ will do a work that no man could do. You want to talk about a question dripping with irony. You got it. And so you might ask, as I have, why didn't he tell him? Why did he go into the Olive Discord? Why didn't he tell these men? Seriously. Why didn't the Savior, why didn't the Son of Man, why didn't the Sovereign Lord Jesus Christ tell these men, guys, it's a little ironic. We're 48 hours from the cross of Calvary. We're 48 hours from Daniel's weeks. We're 48 hours from the Son of Man's suffering. 
that you might have life? That's a good question, is it not? Why didn't Jesus Christ tell his disciples the truth? And the answer is this. He did. He did. Mark chapter 8. Don't turn there. Just stay with me. We'll go to Mark chapter 9 in a minute. Mark chapter 8, the Lord Jesus Christ. We covered this in a strange way yesterday. But in Mark chapter 8, the Lord Jesus Christ begins to teach. He didn't teach the Pythagorean theorem. He didn't teach the quadratic equation. He began to teach in Mark chapter 31, excuse me, Mark chapter 8 and verse 31, something that is so profound even today. Who could believe it? Who could believe that God's plan would be send his only perfect son that the righteous would suffer for the unrighteous? How could that be his way? How could that be his plan? And, and Jesus Christ sits down with his 12 in Mark chapter 8 and verse 31. And the scripture says, and he began to teach and he began to tell them that the son of man will go to Jerusalem that he will suffer many things that he will be rejected by the chief priests and the scribes and then he'll go to Calvary's tree and die and again on the third day he will arise he never left that off he never left off the resurrection from the dead Mark chapter 8 and verse 31 they didn't hear it you know why they didn't hear it because Peter rebuked the Lord Jesus Christ to his face that's why they didn't hear it. That's why they didn't glean. Because Peter had something to say. So often in this life, and I know we're far from it. So often in this life, we are often far from this. But so often in this life, we don't need to hear what you have to say. The Almighty does not need the opinion of Stephen Bennett Harrell. What he needs is obedience. What he needs it is us to be still and to know that he is the Lord. What he needs is us to follow him in obedience and faith. What he needs is obedient servants. And yet we're so quick to tell him, as Peter was, how we're right. You ever notice in Scripture that the disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ in his ministry are so far from the truth? They are so ignorant. They are so wrong, not some of the time, all the time, seemingly. And yet we have the arrogance in our hearts and minds today to think we're always right. We're always right. I say to you this morning, maybe we should hear this, that the scriptures teach that these men, in and during the life and ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ, were often wrong. Hear that. Go to Mark chapter 9. Mark chapter 9. <clears throat> Mark chapter 9 and verse 30. I'll read it. And they departed from there and passed through Galilee. And he would not that any of them or any man should know it. For he just taught his disciples and said unto them, The Son of Man is delivered into the hands of men, and they shall kill him. And after he is killed, they, he shall rise on the third day. 
And they understood not the saying and were afraid to ask him. Verse 33. And they came to Capernaum and being in the house, he asked them, What was it that you disputed amongst yourselves on the way? But they held their peace. For on the way they had disputed amongst themselves who should be the greatest. Jesus Christ in Mark chapter 9 says, I'm going to Jerusalem. I'm going to suffer many things. I'm going to be rejected by the chief priests and the scribes. I'm going to be killed. I'm going to be resurrected on the third day. And they didn't understand. But instead of inquiring, instead of asking, instead of pondering, instead of meditating, which is often what we should do on the word of God, they decided to dispute amongst themselves who should be the greatest. You can't make this up. Who are these men? Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10. Notice the words, and they were on their way. Notice that. Mark chapter 10 and verse 32. And they were on their way going up to Jerusalem. And Jesus went before them and they were amazed and they followed and were afraid. And he took the twelve and began to tell them what things should happen to him. Saying, behold, we go to Jerusalem and the Son of Man shall be delivered to the chief priests and to the scribes. And they shall condemn him to death. And they shall deliver him to the Gentiles and they shall mock him. And they shall scourge him. And they shall spit upon him. And they shall kill him. And on the third day he shall arise. And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, come unto the master. We would that thou should do for us whatever we desire. Lovely guys. For the third time, for the third time, their master, for the, ter- for the third time, my master, for the third time, the Lord Jesus Christ comes to his disciples and he says, we're on our way to Jerusalem. I'm going to tell you what's going to happen here. I'm going to be rejected by the chief priests and the scribes. I'm going to be spat upon. I'm going to be mocked. I'm going to be scourged. I'm going to be killed. And I, he never leaves it out. And I, on the third day, will resurrect or come back from the dead. And these two selfish men, these sons of Zebedee, (coughs) that remind us so much of ourselves, come to the Lord Jesus Christ, you cannot make it up. You cannot find in Scripture such selfishness. These two sons of Zebedee come to the Lord Jesus Christ. They haven't heard a word he said. And they come to the Lord Jesus Christ and we go, Oh, Master, how about something for me? We got a request. Can we get something? How about a little something? We want to sit at your right hand and your left. How about that? Please tell me we're not like this. I'm serious. You could say I flew all the way from North Carolina just to say this. Please tell me that the disciples of Jesus Christ today are not like these men. You want to know why? I read Mark chapter 13 and verse 4. When these men... Come to the Lord Jesus Christ and it absolutely makes my blood boil. I I just want to shake them. I want to grab them. I want to talk some sense into them. I'm mad about it. You know why? Because three times Jesus Christ went to his disciples. Three times Jesus Christ went to the men who devoted their lives and left their families and their jobs to follow Jesus Christ. Three times he went to them. And he said, I'm going to suffer many things. I'm going to be rejected. I'm going to die. I'm going to be resurrected on the third day. But then in Mark chapter 13, as he leaves the temple, Jesus Christ turns to these same disciples. These same disciples who said, look at this real estate, Lord. Look at the building. Look at the stones. Look at this place. 
And he said, there's coming a time where there will not be one stone left upon another. And hear me. Later that night, Peter, James, and John, and Andrew come to him saying, listen to it. Don't ever miss it. They come to him saying, Lord, we heard you say that real estate was going to be moved. We heard you say that brick and mortar was going to be overturned. We heard you say that one stone was not left upon another. And boy, I'll tell you, Lord, I just want to be honest with you. I just want to shoot straight with you here. That really bothers me. That's concerning. Sure, I didn't hear you say that. You, sure, I, it didn't bother me a lick when I heard you say that you were going to die and be, and be crucified and be risen again on the third day. But boy, when, when the real estate starts to move, boy, I'm concerned. I haven't, been able, I haven't been able to have anything else on my mind. Once I heard you say that, that these stones are not going to be left upon another. Once I heard you say that the temple is going to be moved. Once I heard real estate is involved, I haven't been able to get my mind off of it. Can you imagine if you went to your best friend three times and told him you were going to die? And his response was, what's happening with the house? Pretty close. I want to shake him. You want to talk about a selfish question. Wrong question at the wrong time. You want to talk about a question that shows that their hearts are far from him. He got it. You know what their problem was? Seriously. You know what their problem was? They focused on what they could see. They weren't men of faith. Their eyes dictated. Their eyes Dictated. Sound familiar? I want to do something. The elders are going to give me some grace, okay? I promise. I'm going to quote some scripture wrong. And then I'll quote it right. I'm going to quote some scripture wrong so that you can see that the emphasis on the word of God is not the eye, but the ear. It's not the eye, but the ear. Let's try it. Here we go. My sheep see my face, and they know me. It goes like this. My sheep, they hear my voice, and they know me. Faith come by seeing, and seeing by the word of God. That's not right. Faith, faith come by hearing. And hearing by the word of God. This is the Herald favorite. Okay, y'all don't know us, but <laughs> this is this is like our verse. Okay, but it ain't there. You ready for this one? If any man hath a tongue, let him speak. That one's not there. <laughs> oh, oh, how we wish it were. It does say something like this: If any man, if any man hath an ear. Let him hear. My favorite character in Scripture uh, when I was a young man, really two, David and then a man named Samson. And Samson went down to Timnath, somewhere around Judges chapter 13. And the Bible says that he saw a woman. He didn't talk to a woman. He just saw her. And he said to his father, I'll take her. See that one? See that little Philistine gal down there? I'll take her. Later in his life, the Philistines would fall on Samson when his hair was cut. 
And you're not going to believe what happened. They got him. They got him when his hair was cut. And they gouged out his ears. It's not quite right, is it? They did gouge out his eyes. Watch your eyes. Men. Men. Watch your eyes. I want to tell you something. So discouraging to me. So often, as godly men and women, we don't live by faith. We live by sight. Our eyes dictate everything. Thus was the issue with the disciples. Thus was the issue in Scripture. Thus was the problem with these men. But there's another book. It's not Mark. It's not John. It's not these. But it's in the book of Acts. So encouraging, is it not? These same men. These same men who live by sight, who were so selfish to the very core, these same men began to live by faith. This same Peter of, of Mark chapter 8, this same Peter who denied the Lord three times, this same Peter would now live by faith. And on the day of Pentecost, he would go in with power and with might and with truth and speak the gospel that son of Naphtali, for the first time. And he would speak and live by faith. And through the faith that these men lived by, through the gospel and the power of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, many were saved. Praise the Lord for the book of Acts. Praise the Lord for the encouragement of the book of Acts. Yes, these men lived by sight. Yes, these men were far from where they needed to be in the Gospels. But the book of Acts shows them as men living in faith, as men guided by the Holy Spirit, filled with the Holy Spirit, bringing the Gospel to a lost and dying world, preaching the truth that saves lives and changes us into a new creation. Oh, they live by faith. I said all that to leave you one word of encouragement as we close. The scripture says in 1 Chronicles chapter 12 that there were men of Issachar who were men of understanding. And they knew what Israel ought to do. The context of that verse is that King Saul reigned in Israel. That son of Kish from the tribe of Benjamin. He was ruling and reigning. And he was the king. And everything flowed through Saul. But the men of Issachar knew. And were men of understanding. That God had another king. And though Saul was in power, there was a son of David. Excuse me. There was a son of Jesse. Young and ruddy. Full of courage, a man after God's own heart that was coming. And they knew, though Saul was in power now, this son of Jesse, this son named David, was coming. And they knew that God had a plan to put him on the throne and that the Lord would use David as his anointed king. I want to encourage you this, especially as we go into this political season. Don't you dare lose 
sight of what the Lord is doing. And though there's politics, though there's, though there's a ballot box, though there are men in control, though there are powers that be, the truth is this. Look through these things. Look past them. And know that the son of David, the Lord Jesus Christ, is coming to rule and to reign. And God will set him on the throne and fulfill scripture. And this same Jesus whom they crucified, this same Jesus who gave his life a ransom for many, this same Jesus is coming again. People ask, how do you know? How do you know? I know that Jesus Christ is coming because he came the first time and fulfilled scripture. And blew them away. Jesus Christ is coming. We ought to be like these men of Issachar. Not concerned with the politics. And the powers. And the struggles that be. But to know. To see through scripture. To see through the promises of God. To see through the prophecies. And understanding that the Lord Jesus Christ. Our Savior. That the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lion of the tribe of Judah. That the Lord Jesus Christ. That great son of David. He is coming. And he shall rule and reign. And we as men and women, like these men of Issachar, we ought to know and be men and women of understanding. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we're thankful for all that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. For simple thoughts. Father, we see the error of these disciples. Their selfishness. Father, we pray. We pray earnestly and sincerely today, Father, that we would not be like these men. That we would not be men who live, men who focus on what we see, but that we would be men and women that live by faith. And the just shall live by faith. That we, Father, would not be concerned with the air and the issues of the day, but be concerned with the kingdom that is coming. And the person of the Lord Jesus Christ that shall return. We thank you for the gospel that we have the hope that we have in the person and in the salvation of the Lord Jesus Christ. And there is but one name, a name above every name in which we pray today, the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.